0: Father in heaven, we thank you for another opportunity to open your word, to see what it is that is truth that you will share with us during this broadcast. And we ask for your blessing and for your presence to be with us. We pray that your spirit would interpret the words of the Bible for us. In Jesus' name, amen. Welcome to 11th Hour Dispatch. I'm Scott Ritzema, your host, and we have a session on one of the most important truths that you will ever encounter in the Bible. And it has to do with the state of the dead. What happens when a person dies? Now, the devil is called the deceiver. In Revelation 12, verse 9, it says that he deceiveth the whole world. In John 8, 44, he is called the father of lies. And I'm just going to tell you right out of the gates. He has convinced most of the world that fallen human beings have an immortal soul or spirit that can live immortally, eternally, outside of the body. We are told that upon death, you go straight to heaven, you have knowledge in heaven, you speak with and praise God while dead, you give thanks to God in heaven while dead. The Bible teaches the opposite. Ecclesiastes 9 verse 5 says plainly and clearly, the dead know nothing. The dead do not know anything. They don't have knowledge because they are dead. Psalm 115 verse 17 says, The dead do not praise God. So this whole idea that I've grown up with from the cartoons, which taught me that when a person dies, a little angel comes and carries their soul out of their body and sets them up on a seat on a cloud, and they, be, they join the choir of heaven up on the cloud. This is not biblical. The Bible says that we go to heaven... At the resurrection, we'll get to that in a minute. But the Bible also says that the dead are silent. Psalm one fifteen verse seventeen: the dead are silent, so they don't know anything while dead. They do not praise God while dead. They are not; they are silent while dead. Psalm six verse five says that the dead don't give thanks. Job seven verses eight to ten said that the, the dead certainly don't return to their house. That's a spiritualist, demonic manifestation with the hauntings and the seances. And many times these demon spirits look like dead loved ones, look like people that you knew because, well, the devil can transform himself into an angel of light. He can manifest, he can impersonate as he sees fit because he's a miraculous and angelic being, a fallen, wicked angel. And we know from Leviticus that if anybody was a medium, if anybody had a familiar spirit, is the term in the King James, that they were not permitted to live in ancient Israel because this was a demonic craft, being a medium and communicating with the, quote, the dead. Well, you're not actually communicating with the dead. At a seance, you're communicating with demons that are impersonating the dead. This is why the term familiar spirit is used because they look like somebody that you know. They are familiar, but it's actually a demon. Isaiah 38, verse 18 says that the dead don't hope. So over and over and over again, that the dead don't know anything. They do not praise God. They are silent. They don't give thanks. They don't return to their house. They don't hope. This idea that we've been fed from dark ages Christianity and the deceptions and distortions that slipped into Christianity through Greek paganism are just frankly not biblical. In fact, this is really surprising to those who believe in the normal conception of the afterlife that is believed by most in this world of all the different religions. This text in Acts 2 will surprise you if you're not familiar with this teaching of what happens when you die. In Acts 2, verses 29 and 34, it actually states that David, righteous David... The man who was a man after God's own heart, who repented after his sin, who got a new heart and a right spirit and penned the Psalms. And righteous David, it says in Acts verses, Acts 2, verses 29 and 34, is not in heaven. That's a shocker to me, having grown up believing what I, what everybody believes, having not studied the Bible for myself, to read in the Bible that David is not in heaven. Well, it says David is in the grave. He's in his sepulcher. He's in the tomb. He's dead. And the dead saints are not yet in heaven because it says in 1 Corinthians 15 and in 1 Thessalonians 4 that at the resurrection, at the second coming of Jesus, the dead in Christ will rise first and we who are alive and remain will be caught up together in the air with them to be with the Lord. It is at that time that we will be clothed with immortality and only then. This idea that we are naturally inherently immortal, that I have an immortal soul or an immortal spirit, is a lie of the devil. I'll tell you, Satan's first lie in the Garden of Eden was, you will not surely die. Genesis 3, verse 4. And I hope you're taking notes. I hope you're studying these texts and preparing for the coming deceptions that we're going to see over this issue. This is the deceiver we're talking about. This is deadly serious. He told Eve. Oh, so what? If you sin, you will continue to be immortal. You are inherently and naturally immortal. His first ever lie was that a sinner in a sinful state has immortality. The Bible says clearly in First Timothy 6, verse 16, that God alone is immortal. Therefore, we are not, because God's the only one, We we do not live on after death. The Bible says, that we should seek immortality in Romans 2 verse 7, which means that we do not have immortality yet. The Bible says that at the resurrection we will be clothed with immortality in 1 Corinthians 15 verses 51 through 54. Now I have a question. If we are called in Romans to seek immortality, and we are told in 1 Corinthians that in the future we will put on or be clothed with immortality, Do we have immortality now as mortal, sinful beings? No, we do not have or possess any immortality within us because the wages of sin is death. We're we're a dying human race. We get a certain number of years to choose for Christ or for Satan before we die, but we're not immortal. God alone is immortal. We are to seek immortality, and in the future we will be clothed with immortality. The Bible says that the soul actually dies. Ezekiel 18, verse 4, the soul that sinneth, it shall die. The Bible says that our breath, our, which, which, the, which is the same word for a spirit, our breath or our spirit is no different from the breath of an animal. Ecclesiastes 3, verse 19, we have the same breath, the same type of breath or spirit. So what is this thing about a soul? We usually think, well, I have a soul and my soul will leave my body upon death and live eternally because that's like my immortal component. No, we don't have an immortal component. We are mortal, period. The Bible says God alone is immortal. When God created Adam, it says in Genesis 2, verse 7, that Adam became a living soul. And it says that when Adam became a soul, he was comprised of two components he was dust. And then God breathed into him breath, the breath of life, and Adam became a soul. So here's a little equation for you. Dust plus breath equals soul. So the soul requires breath in order to exist. So if you breathe your last and you pass away, there is no more soul because the soul requires both dust and breath. It requires both physical material, and breath in order to be a soul. It says, God formed Adam of the dust of the earth, breathed into him the breath of life, and Adam became a living soul. So when you take that breath away, you have no more soul. The soul isn't something that was given to Adam that can then depart from Adam. No, Adam is a soul. You are a soul. A human being is a soul. It says, Adam became a living soul. So If a human being is a soul, and a human dies, there's no more human there, right? There's no more soul there. Maybe this analogy will help. A crate is made out of both boards and nails. Boards plus nails equals a crate. What happens to the crate when you remove the nails? Well, there's no more crate. Similarly, when you remove the breath there is no soul because the Bible says the soul is made of dust plus breath or physical material plus breath. Now, given this fact, I have to really, really, really appreciate the resurrection because if when somebody dies, they're just gone, well, we don't want them to be gone for eternity. God says he's going to come back again and the dead in Christ will rise. In fact, the very next thought after de- dying will be that person coming out of the grave and seeing their Lord because they're, they're, they don't exist while dead. The Bible calls it a sleep. That's a better way to describe it. Jesus never wanted to use the word dead. He said, the little girl is asleep. The girl's not dead, but asleep. Well, she was dead, but Jesus said the little girl who had died was asleep because that's a better term for it. There's another thing coming called a death. We'll, we'll talk about that in the future broadcast about the lake of fire. But when somebody has passed away, they are merely resting in the loving arms of God. And he has a plan to raise them right out of the grave when he comes again. So when the Bible says over and over and over and over and over again, that death is a sleep, is a form of sleep, we can take that to the bank. We can know that the dead are resting in Christ. Psalm 7, verse 5. Psalm 13, verse 3. Psalm 90, verse 5. Jeremiah 51, verse 39. Jeremiah 51, verse 57. Daniel 12, verse 2. John 11, verse 13. There's a lot more. I won't name every scripture reference where it refers to death as a sleep. You can search it and find it right in the Bible over and over and over, many, 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 many times. The Bible says that death is a sleep. The Bible says that the dead know nothing. The Bible says that the dead do not praise God, that they are silent, that they don't give thanks, that they don't return to their house, and that they don't hope because they're asleep. Because when you die, there's nothing immortal about me that goes on. God alone is immortal. Now, this is probably some pretty shocking stuff if you've never studied this in the Word of God before. But I want to say something. When you hear the myths about death promoted from all corners of the thought world, from religion to secular society to world religions of various kinds, you can know that this all comes from that original lie. Of Satan in the Garden of Eden when he said, You will not surely die. Now, I want to give you a website to search further on this topic so that you can study deeply into this. We've only had just this short segment. We're going to pick it up after the break. But visit the website truthaboutdeath.com. Truthaboutdeath.com. And that will get into every single text and the history of how this deception came into the church and it'll give you the bible truth we'll be right back you're listening to 11th hour dispatch with author teacher and speaker scott ritzmer for more programs and information visit 11thhourdispatch.com what does it take to raise spiritually strong young people in our homes well the george Barner research results are in Parents who have had actual measurable success, who have raised their children to become solid Christian young adults, these parents' number one aim in the parenting of their children was character development. They understood that their job was to form the character of their children to reflect the law of God and the character of Christ. Any parents with children in the home need to know this. Write down the DVD title and share it with them right away. It's called How to Raise the Remnant. Now, more than ever, parents are in desperate need of solid biblical counsel to guide us back to God's plan for raising godly children in these last days. Visit 11thHourDispatch.com and use promo code RADIO for a reduced suggested donation rate. Wonderful, merciful Savior Precious Redeemer and friend Who would have thought that a lamb Could rescue the souls of men Oh, you rescue the souls of men And we're back This is 11th Hour Dispatch. I'm Scott Ritzemel, your host, and we are continuing on with this study of the state of the dead. And I know that this topic of death really hits our emotions in a major way. Most of us have lost dear and close loved ones, and we need comfort. And you know what? The Apostle Paul gives us comfort. In 1 Thessalonians 4, verses 15 through 18, he says, that the dead in Christ will rise, and we who are alive will be caught up together with them in the air to meet the Lord Jesus, and so we shall be with him forever. That is the greatest hope, the greatest comfort imaginable. Eternal life with Jesus, resurrected bodies, immortal bodies, we will be clothed with immortality. You know, Jesus had a friend that died once. His name was Lazarus. And Lazarus's sister, Martha, was grieving and weeping, and Lazarus had been in the tomb for four days. This is all recorded in John 11. And Jesus shows up and says, she says, oh, Lord, if you would have been here, my brother would not have died. And Jesus says, your brother will rise again. So he gives her the exact same comfort and hope that the apostle Paul gives us. In 1 Thessalonians 4, the resurrection is the hope. And she says, I know that my brother will rise again at the last day. There's never any discussion about, I'm going to comfort you because Lazarus is in a better place now. He's not anywhere but in the tomb. When Jesus calls him out, he says, Lazarus, come forth, not come down from heaven. In fact, that would have been a very rude thing to do. If Jesus would have said, come down out of heaven and come back to this dark earth, this this painful and miserable place compared to heaven, Lazarus doesn't, doesn't complain about coming out of the tomb. He doesn't talk about what it was like up in heaven for those four days that he was dead. No, Jesus comforts Martha with the future resurrection hope, and he says, I am the resurrection and the life, and I'm going to show this to you right now. And he calls Lazarus forth. What a wonderful Wonderful story that illustrates the comfort that the Bible gives to us about our dead loved ones. And if you think about it, if there's like haunted houses and your your dead loved ones are coming around and as as popular culture and, and demonic deceptions would have you believe, this is actually kind of not only creepy, but but sad that our dead loved ones would be watching us in our pain and suffering and sin and all of that. No, they are asleep unconscious of anything, when they died, it's kind of like when your head hits the pillow on a really, really, you know, tired night of sleep, and you're just like the next thought, you're in the morning, or a a nap that takes place, and you're like, man, did I just sleep for two hours on this sunny afternoon? Well, it's the same thing, except more unconscious for the dead. They are completely unaware of what's going on until the trumpet sounds and calls them out of the grave, and that's just the very next thought for them after dying. So their last thought was looking upon the face of their loved ones, and their very next thought is seeing their loved ones again, and Jesus in the, in the sky. What a wonderful, wonderful truth the Bible presents to us. But this thing about resurrections and people who were dead, like Lazarus, I've heard many people talk about, well, there's this, this boy or this man or this individual, and they were dead, And they came back with stories of an afterlife. And so this proves that the dead actually are alive while dead. And so this disproves the Bible. And I'm saying, wait a minute. Nothing can disprove the Bible. The Bible says God alone is immortal. The Bible says that the dead are asleep, that they know nothing. So these stories must be based upon something. And you can actually explain it from modern science. What what they've looked at is an area of the brain called the angular gyrus which can make you feel during times of, of, of extreme stress or other strange neurological states of the brain. It can make you feel like you're having an out-of-body experience. And there can be also hallucinations and things that take place. This is not just under stress and like near-death situations, but this also happens with um, Air, Air Force pilots when they're under immense G-forces. This happens during uh, hallucinogenic drug use. Uh, it happens with new age practitioners engaging in these things intentionally to have this out-of-body experience. All of these things are explainable by the neurological science that we know. Now, you can't explain how somebody's going to be raised from the dead, like taken out of the grave and given a new body. That's beyond our science, and that's in the hands of God. He is a miraculous God. But these experiences, I you know, I happen to know somebody, who said he saw his grandpa's soul come out of his body when he died. And I'm going, you know, I don't doubt that. This person that told me that is a very serious person, very intellectual person. And so this is not something that I think everybody is making up. But I do know that the devil is a deceiver. And he can get in there and manipulate and mess with people's belief on death so that right at the right time, he can bring a, say, an apparition of Mary or of the saints, or a dead loved one, it's all a fraud, it's all a hoax, it's an impersonation, it's a demon, and they can say what we bring forth, tidings to you from heaven, and truths that perhaps you didn't know. Truths that, by the way, contradict the Bible, because the devil is a deceiver, and there are doctrines of demons being taught, the Bible says. And it says in Revelation 16, that at the last days, that spirits of demons, spirits of devils will go forth to deceive. So this is coming. It's very real. And it's happening already, apparitions of Mary and so on and so forth. So do we realize, you know, I have tremendous respect for Mary and the apostles, of course. These people are heroes of the Bible, especially Mary. I view the, the role of the mother as I teach about parenting and emphasize the role of the mother as being the most important in God's kingdom. But we don't communicate with the dead. We don't look for messages from the dead. The Bible says that the dead know nothing. And the Bible says that if you're communicating with the dead, this is spiritualism. This is the occult. This is seance, witchcraft business. This is demonic. They used to stone to death people who were participating in that in the Old Testament. God took it very seriously. Samuel, or, or Saul rather, try to communicate with the dead prophet Samuel. Well, he went to a witch to do that. And, and and presumably and seemingly spoke with Samuel while Samuel was dead. Well, the dead know nothing. This was not actually Samuel. This was a witch calling forth a demon. Think of how crazy this would be. If you're if you're going to a séance and you have people practicing demonic arts and they actually can have power over The soul of a dead saint to call them down from heaven? No, this is all an illusion, an impersonation, familiar spirits. Now, this clear teaching on the in the Bible is clear enough. It says the dead know nothing and so on, as all the verses that I've shared with you, that David is not in heaven, that God alone is immortal. Ultra crystal clear. But there's this one verse that I remember hearing when I was a kid that I always thought, well, hey, this means that... Jesus, that, 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 that the dead actually go to heaven right away. And it's in Luke 23, when Jesus says to the thief on the cross, assuredly I say to you, today you will be with me in paradise. Well, that sure sounds like Jesus was planning to go to paradise with the thief on that very day. Well, here's the, here's the thing. In John 20, Jesus actually says to Mary, two days later, on Sunday, that he has not yet been to the Father. Now, where is paradise? Well, that's heaven with the Father, right? So he told the thief, I'm going to be in heaven with you later today when we both die. But then he told Mary two days later that he had not yet been to heaven. I don't think Jesus actually said to the thief that he was going to meet him in heaven that day, because if he said that, that would make Jesus a liar. And he's not a liar. The Bible says that God cannot lie in in Titus and in Hebrews. So what does this passage mean? Assuredly, I say to you, today you will be with me in paradise. Well, are you familiar with the fact that the original languages, Greek and Hebrew, that the Bible was written in do not have punctuation? There was just the words. Now, when a translator adds the punctuation in our language, he's doing his best to keep the scripture true to what what, what it, what it means. And so the punctuation almost never in the Bible changes the meaning of a text. So they add punctuation, not under inspiration, but using their best guess as to where it would be appropriate to put a comma. Well, in this case, they got it wrong. In Luke 23, verse 43, the verse reads, assuredly, I say to you, comma, Now remember, this comma is not inspired, it's not in the original text, it's added by translators. Assuredly, I say to you, comma, today you will be with me in paradise. Well, we know that that's not the correct place to put the comma, because Jesus didn't go to paradise that day. And he's not a liar, so we have to move the comma to after the word today, in order for the Bible to be consistent with itself. Assuredly, I say to you today, comma, thief on the cross, you will be with me in paradise. At some unstated time, because the comma is after the word today. Assuredly, I say to you today, so I'm saying this to you today, comma, you will be with me in paradise. Okay, well, that clears it up. Now I know that the Bible does not contradict itself, because Jesus clearly was not in paradise on that day or on Saturday, or on Sunday, he said to Mary, I haven't yet been there. So I'm very thankful that Jesus did not promise the thief on Friday that he would be in paradise with him that day, because he wasn't. And we know from the rest of the Bible that the thief wasn't in paradise that day either. The thief was in the grave. Clearly, this verse does not say that you go to heaven when you die. But then there's that rich man and Lazarus parable. Have you ever read that one in Luke 16? Jesus is telling parables in Luke 15 and Luke 16, and he gets to this parable. And he does what you commonly hear speakers or teachers do, and that is they will pull from a commonly known fantasy or fiction or movie or book, and they will will take that story and insert it into their teaching as an illustration, as a teaching tool. And they don't have to say, "Oh, and by the way, you know that this isn't a true story that this is being pulled from commonly understood lore." Well, they don't have to say that. So when Jesus says that the rich man and Lazarus, when they die, they go immediately to heaven and hell in this strange situation where they they have a body and one of them's down in the grave, one of them's up in heaven, but they can talk to each other it, it It's not literal. I don't know anybody that believes that that's a literal picture of what happens when you die." Jesus is basically saying, you've heard this thing that the Greeks teach out there about the afterlife. This is a common mythology that many believe. And basically, if the dead could speak, here's what they would say. And he tells the story to teach about generosity, to teach about following the word of God. The, the, the passage is not intended to teach the state of the dead. The Bible was clear on that. The dead know nothing. We'll see you next time. To financially support this broadcast, visit 11thHourDispatch.com. Here's Scott Ritzema with another final minute message. Bertrand Russell says we're going to use methods like the Jesuits use. Now that was what he said about the education system. He goes on with an even more important statement. He says perhaps the most important of all modern agents of propaganda is the cinema. It leads to almost worldwide uniformity. The great majority of young people in almost all civilized countries derive their ideas of love, of honor, of the way to make money and the importance of good clothes from the evening spent in seeing what Hollywood thinks is good for them. They want us in constant amusement. This dates all the way back to the Roman Empire. You remember bread and circuses. Keep the people entertained, keep the people fed, and they will be tamed. That's how we can keep control over the population. Amusement. Joseph Stalin knew the power of Hollywood. He said, If I could have control over that, the whole world would be communist. Brought to you by belt of truth ministries.org.